Our national conversation about conversations about race is brought to you by Casper. Get $50 toward any mattress purchased by visiting www.casper.com forward slash race and using the promo code race. Before we start today's show, we want to ask you a small favor. Here at Panoply, we're trying to learn more about our podcast listeners. We want you to tell us about the podcast you enjoy and how often you listen to them. So we created a survey that takes just a couple of minutes to complete. If you fill it out, you'll help us to make great podcasts about the things you love and the things you didn't even know you loved. To fill out the survey, just go to panoply.fm slash survey. That's panoply.fm slash survey. Or you can click the link that's been provided in the show notes for this episode. Thanks. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello, and welcome to the B-Side for Episode 8 of our national conversation about conversations about race, the Confederate Dementia episode. I'm Tanner Colby here in Panoply's New York studios with my regular co-host, Raquel Cepeda. Hello, Raquel. Hola. And because Baratunde Thurston is out this week enjoying the wonderful austerity crisis in Greece, we have our special guest host, video blogger, and DJ and man of many talents, Jay Smooth. Hello, hello. Welcome. Welcome. We're Thanks excited for, to have you. Yes. Thanks for joining us. Yes. Um, we, we especially look forward to introducing your opinion on the things we talked about last week, uh, presidential reactions to the Charleston massacre, national dementia over Confederate symbols, including the fight over the rebel mascot at my own alma mater, my high school, Vestavia Hills, and the human rights crisis brewing in the Dominican Republic. So before we get to what you guys have to say, I just want to give a brief update. If you listened to last week's show, you know that uh, my high school, Vestavia Hills High School, in the suburbs of Birmingham, Alabama, has come under fire. Ten years ago, they banned the Confederate flag. They still had the Confederate rebel as their mascot, and that became a point of contention in the wake of the Charleston shootings. There was a massive debate. There was a huge town hall meeting uh, over how to deal with this. A lot of pro and con arguments we discussed last week, how the white people who are defending the flag are you have to sort of accept them and take them from the point of they're really coming from a place where they don't understand why it's bad. They've imbued it with all kinds of positive values because that's what they've learned. And that's what makes it a very difficult conversation to have with those kinds of people. Um, and that's basically what the town hall meeting was. All these people standing up saying that the rebel stands for community spirit and school pride and all these Spanish ones. moss and yes. iced tea. Yes, oh. Spanish moss and iced tea. And, and southern bells. <laughs> and other people. And of course, logic was entirely on the side of the people arguing to get rid of it, saying, hey, look, we do have all these positive values in this community. People of color are doing well in this community. And that doesn't go away if we change the mascot. Like all the things that are good don't go away. And they're always, you may not understand why this is bad. And in fact, uh, this story made John Oliver's show on HBO. And uh, he made the brilliant comparison of showing the Hitachi Magic Wand vibrator <laughs> and saying, you may think this is a back massager, but everyone else in the world knows this is not a back massager. Um, <laughs> That's so crazy. Yeah. So this came to a debate. And last night, the decision, the verdict came down, which is kind of where people thought it was going to come. They kept the rebel name. They are changing the mascot to get rid of the plantation owner, Confederate soldier. You know what surprised me the most? Yes. When you shared with me the comments on your on uh, your high school's Facebook wall mm-hmm. with uh, black, you know, people that I'm presuming are black American, um, really vehemently defending the Confederate flag. Yes. It was really shocking to read some of that stuff. It's like, are you not living in like... <laughs> 
Right. <laughs> in America, in reality, like, what are you not seeing? Like, what are you, like, they probably, do they teach history classes and uh, courses in, uh, Barely, in high school? Barely, as in most of America. Now, you, you were shocked by that. Are you shocked that by that? I mean, it depends. You know, there's one uh, young man who gets around in the media every six months or so as a defender of the Confederate flag, and I mm-hmm. feel like there's a mix of sincere belief in this stance and a knowledge that he'll get a 24-hour social media cycle out of being the black guy who takes that stance. So who right. is this? Uh, I can't remember I don't know his who name. That is. I'll, I've I'll, never... I'll find it to send to you. Yeah, yeah we'll p- have to put it on the our kid, show the kid who's doing it for some congressman. Yeah, the, kid, the black kid who's doing it in my hometown... There's no agenda. He's an 18-year-old kid, a black guy who dressed up in the white rebel man costume at the games. He was the mascot. In white face? You could call it that, I guess. <laughs> uh, it's felt face, white felt face, because it's a felt. But what's interesting, one of the comments we got, um, actually a couple comments we got, one is from Jesse, who says, Hello, Baritone, Dave Raquel, and Tanner, and Jay. I just wanted to say that your last episode was my favorite so far, particularly the discussion about the Confederate flag. Baratunde, I've listened to your comment. I think we have for too long indulged the feelings of people lying behind history a half a dozen times because it just rings so true to me. The discussion also reminded me of a concept called the shifting baseline syndrome, which means that we accept the version of the world we inherit as normal. These kids in high school are examples of this syndrome. The flag as a symbol of school spirit is the new normal. I learned about this concept in a special episode of 99% Invisible called The Wild Ones about animal extinction and how at some point there will be a generation of children for whom a world with no whales or turtles, etc. will be totally normal and not a deep tragedy. Anyway, I thought you might be interested in that idea. Well, here, here's another email that's very much in the same vein. Hello, my name is Larry, and I've been an active-duty military member for almost 18 years now and was born and raised in Kansas. I have been stationed all over the United States and have visited multiple countries. I say this because I am really the only person from my family that has left home and been exposed to how, how Americans live life outside of the Midwest. And to add to what will presumably be a conversation by show about race concerning the Charleston shootings in your next episode, I wanted to get your thoughts on how some of my family back home has responded to this tragedy. I am white, 40 years old, grew up with a liberal Catholic mother and three siblings. I have been married to a black woman for 15 years. We have no children. One of my brothers is also married to a black woman and has biracial children. My mother is still a stout Catholic, yet my brother and his wife have shifted to more evangelical beliefs. The reason I bring them up specifically is that after the horrible shooting by what was clearly a racist young man, I received an unexpected response from said brother, his wife, and eventually my mother. As I expressed to them my sympathy for the event, they responded in kind but said that it was an attack on Christianity, not race. I asked them, with all the evidence before us, how this was not a hate crime. They stated that this is just another example of how the church is under attack and how the end of days are upon us. I'm not as avid a churchgoer as my family is and choose to keep my spiritual beliefs private. If family members wish to express their spirituality in whatever means they choose, I respect that. But this latest episode from them, in addition to now isolating me for challenging their beliefs, has left me confused and a little hurt. I no longer get any response from my brother or his wife, and my mother will not address the issue. My family members are the best people I know. Seriously, this take on the Charleston, South Carolina shootings as being an attack on Christianity, not a racist act, especially since they raise biracial children and grandchildren, scares me. I'm afraid of two things. How their denial of race issues could affect how their children will see and react to experiences they will inevitably have, and how their religious tunnel vision abandons the brains that God gave them for the gospel their church imposes upon them. There's your shifting baseline, right? You have people raising biracial kids and that they're raising them in this world to not look at Freddie Gray as racism. 
Uh, yeah, and I, I think those social norms and that threat of social isolation is a big part of what keeps these things entrenched. And when we look at black people who sort of take up the mantle of defending the flag, I think there can be incentive to do that because, uh, I mean, first of all, they're probably the beneficiaries of the same miseducation wherever they live. Mm-hmm. And there is an incentive to get the acceptance of the white people around you who will say, even one of them agrees with us. So I think there's social norms can reinforce that. And I think that's why, I mean, I think if that's the new normal, we need to change the new normal. I don't think you can take a sort of descriptive linguistics approach to history and say, however Mm -hmm. things evolve is how it evolves and there's no good or bad. I think you need to get those voices out there. And I think that's why it's important to take up these arguments, even if the person you're arguing with is not going to be persuaded or have an epiphany because you're still contributing to the environment of ideas out there. And just like language evolves through usage, the more we get that perspective out there, hopefully bit by bit, Mm -hmm. it moves the normal to where it needs to be. Right. Yeah. And it's also the way, you know, many, not all, but many uh, white people deal with racial stress. They can't. And we'll talk about that later in our mm-hmm. up for, in our upcoming episode. But that reminded me a lot of this whole denial. And I do believe in keeping your spiritual beliefs sometimes to yourself because it kind of creates this this wall. I think it's we're, we're at a time where we need to start accepting that America doesn't have a flawless history and that we need to start learning it from a more balanced perspective. So that I think, at least for white people, it may help them give them a safe space to deal with this racial stress of being challenged or being called out for mm-hmm. um, for the same things that people of color are called out for all the time in a way that implicates, you know, the people that are being silent. Right. Before I get to the next question, what I wanted to do up top uh, is to the compromise of keeping the name but losing the mascot and logo. Do you think that that is a fair compromise? Hell no. I, no. Hell no. I mean, I, I guess we should take steps when they come. Given the backlash that banning the name would have incurred, is it not fair? Is it a reasonable and practical solution? I mean, I I feel like I should defer to you. I mean, right. I'm judging yeah. from afar with no experience with the school or the culture there. Right. You yeah. I, I, in in terms of keeping the peace and trying to find, you know, cut the baby in half and find the middle road, I think it is. It will just have to be the best we can do. Because it is the plantation. Like, UNLV is the rebels, and it has nothing to do with the South. They're just the James Dean rebels. You can be that. Now, everyone will know that they really were the Confederate rebels. But it seems to me like, okay, we can fight. Because, like, 10 years ago when they banned the Confederate flag, they didn't touch the mascot. And that was the compromise then. Lose the flag, keep the mascot. Now it's lose the mascot, keep the name. So maybe Mm. we can just move forward in steps maybe one day we'll get rid of rebels or maybe the baseline will shift to where people will just think about James Dean or maybe know. we get rid of it altogether and actually introduce a curriculum and a teacher course you know teaching students and parents if they want to come in well that why is, that is happening down, why they're taking it down well because part of what's going on now is my book which has the history of this suburb which has never really been told before they're trying to get it introduced into the curriculum this groundswell of support for the rebel mascot is coming from 17-year-old kids and and parents who really don't know better, any better. The educators within the system and some concerned parents on the PTA who want to teach the truth are, I mean, it's self-serving for me because it's my book, but they are trying <laughs> to get, you know, the history of the, the school and the segregation taught in the actual classes. So there is some good positive movement being there. And that was the irony of the whole thing is that 
this suburb where I grew up, which was just racist as hell growing up, has made a lot of progress. People of color are living there and doing well. There was just this vestige of the symbol and the imagery that wasn't reflecting the reality that people are doing better. But I feel like this is like uh, like hand-holding. You have to like hand-hold. One day things are going to be okay. One day, you know, if, you, if you're patient enough, you know, things we're, we're all going to be equal. There's too much hand-holding when dealing sometimes with issues that invoke a spirited debate from white people. That's what it feels like. Yeah, I feel that. I mean, that's a frustration and sort of a tug of war all the time is uh, we should just be keeping it real and setting high standards for people. And there's also progress may not always work that way. I mean, I worked for many years. I'm at a group home with teenagers who sort of had a lot of problems with authority. And I learned that a big part of getting them to adapt their behavior is creating a space where they can save face and feel like they had agency. Right, if right. you just try to f- force your will and make them fold over completely on the spot, they're going to resist that. Right. So I, I think where you can is worth it to make space for that sort of exchange. And right. also when you, when you coddle people, what happens, especially like in the case of the students, they end up going to college away from home. They have like this completely total freak out when they decide to take the one elective, you know, Black History 101 or whatever, learn about diversity, if you will, or multiculturalism, they tend to have this really negative extreme reaction. I've seen it over and over again. They either have the negative extreme reaction or they get all white guilt militant of like, we're the worst. But white guilt guilt militant is just as bad. No, yeah, they're both just as bad. Right? So it's just as bad, right? So... And we're going to talk about that later as well in the next episode. Um, so I'm going to reserve my comment there. But it plays when you coddle people, it kind of has really bad ripple effects. Right. All right. Next next email from Rob in Chicago. Uh, and this gets to something that you wanted to talk about last time but we didn't get to. Another great show. Something that strikes me and might not be in anyone else's mind is that the issues around the Confederate flag continue a long and overused tired trope that racism is a Southern problem. It would be great to hear a show on Northern and Western racism. And we had talked a little bit about the use of the Confederate flag outside of the South. Uh, you see it in Wisconsin. You see it in what well, you see it in you see Europe. See Sao Paulo and Brazil. Yeah. And, <laughs> and in terms of like sh- the shifting nature of symbols... Um, I think also, well, there are people who think that the Confederate flag stands for, you know, pride and, and heritage. There are the Dylan Roofs who still believe that believe it stands for white supremacy. But I think there's there's a large contingent of, of white people for whom the Confederate flag just means fuck you. The Confederate flag stands for my ability to prevent you from stopping me from showing the flag. I think that's part of the sentiment of why it goes outside the South. It's just come to mean Go fuck yourself. Well, you know, I was driving back. Well, I don't know how to drive. My husband was driving back from a screening he had in Maryland, and we stopped at a gas station. And I remember seeing, like, this truck with, like, you know, white guys with wearing rebel flag T-shirts, having a rebel flag on their truck. And it was during this, you know, the spirit, during this debate. And I walked by them, and one of them just bumped me and kept on walking. Like, what? So I don't, I don't, I just don't understand how a flag can... Can meet can come to mean that much? I just don't. I don't get it. Just take that shit down. Take them down everywhere. Dump them in a freaking museum somewhere. Because we shouldn't forget. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't erase and revise history to make it kinder. But at the same time, why fucking have the shit all over the place? I'm like inundated with these. Well, as someone pointed out about Vestavia, why would you name your mascot after the losers? 
You know, I mean, yeah, and at the end of the day, they're losers well, and they traitors. Got to keep their flag. That's always the thing to me. It is, as right. my latest video is about how I feel like there's such a rich tradition and culture in the South. Like, why keep trying to make something out of your biggest L? There's so many things you could genuinely be proud of in the South. Right. Because and of what it's, it's, cause it's, it's it, what it stands for. It's like, fuck you. I'm still, you know, riding. I'm, I want you to know that even though, you know, you're free, if I could, I would make you my slave. <laughs> Our national conversation about conversations about race is brought to you by Casper. Mattresses are crazy expensive. Uh, way too expensive. With a child in daycare, just can't do it. Well, I think we have a solution to your problem. Casper mattresses are obsessively engineered at a shockingly fair price. It's $500 for a twin-size mattress and $950 for a king-size mattress. Compared to industry averages for mattresses, that's an outstanding price point. They have just the right sink, just the right bounce. Two technologies come together in a Casper mattress, latex foam and memory foam. A Casper mattress provides better nights and brighter days. Another great thing about Casper is they have a risk-free trial and return policy. That means you can try sleeping on a Casper for 100 days with free delivery and painless returns. If a Casper mattress doesn't work for you, you can send it back for free. You can get $50 toward any mattress purchase and show your support for our show by visiting www.casper.com forward slash race and using the promo code race. That's casper.com forward slash race. And the promo code is race. So, all right, moving on to the response to the Dominican Republic segment to fill everyone back in. Dominican Republic has a large Haitian immigrant population that come over for work and lots of economic and political refugee reasons. And there's a long history of animosity and hatred between the two countries, particularly with Dominicans thinking they're the whites of the island, as Raquel told us. And being so Raquel, taught, not thinking, not all yeah, of them. Let's being not taught, all, yeah, yeah, being taught, some yes, of them. some um, of them. Uh, Too many. <laughs> which has resulted in this anti-immigrant backlash that is going to theoretically or possibly expunge hundreds of thousands of Haitians from the country. So we got a lot of great responses, mostly thanking Raquel for her wonderful history lesson. Um, too many of those to read. One, we're going to turn into an advice column show. Uh, here we go. Uh, from Duan says, subject line, Dominican Republic destination wedding dilemma. Guys, love your show. My question is regarding the ethnic cleansing in the Dominican Republic. My fiancé and I have planned a destination wedding in Punta Cana for September 2015. Did I pronounce that right? Punta Cana, yeah. There you go. I was excited when she decided on a destination wedding since it would provide us with cheaper options as compared to the options in the D.C. metro area. I must confess that when we decided last year on the Dominican Republic, I was totally ignorant of the history of the country. Now that their actions of ethnic cleansing have been brought to the forefront, I'm having a rough time being okay with continuing to plan for our wedding. She doesn't have that big of an issue with it because she's done a lot of preparation and work so far. We all know that a couple's wedding really is the bride's wedding, and my feelings don't bear as much weight as compared to hers. Some of our friends have understandably pulled out attending the wedding and have joined the boycott movement. Needless to say, our wedding is still going forward. What do you think I should do to put my mind at ease? Are my feelings sensible and sounds? What else could we, my fiancé, the wedding party, and I do to show unity with the movement and our displaced brothers and sisters of the African diaspora? I actually just pulled out of a wedding because of the same thing. Really? They're going to, first of all, if you get married in Punta Cana or visit Punta Cana, you're not going to the Dominican Republic. You're going to Disney World. It's not a Dominican Republic. Two friends of mine, two, oh, two women I know of Puerto Rican descent are getting married at the end of the year in, in the Dominican Republic, and I believe maybe even in Punta Cana. But number one, I was like, Punta Cana is not even the Dominican Republic, first off. And secondly, how can you be, well, they're Latino, they're Puerto Rican, and not show solidarity with the rest of the Caribbean? You know, like, how can you still 
go forth with that because I wouldn't have a good time. It's like, imagine, I mean, this is an extreme example, but it did go through my mind. Like you're having a wedding in Rwanda while all this stuff is going on on that, you know. During the genocide of, you know, during the Hutu uh, genocide. Well, this of, could, this of could be the new Don't Play Sun City. Well, I know? just feel like, okay, the, a friend of mine who um, I just had dinner with, who used to be the, uh, who's Dominican, who used to be the ambassador of the United States in Uruguay, was like, you know, she and I both agreed, Dominicans don't give a fuck, they, especially the oligarchs. They care about money. Mm-hmm. They only care about money and how they look to the rest of the world and not only the United States of America. You know what I mean? Actually, particularly Europe, right? right. Uh, so... The way that you're going to affect change there is by boycotting and by not spending your your dollars there. And I, you know, and I know that I'm just one person and I decided mm-hmm. myself that I just don't feel right being in the country. I personally feel like, yo, man, you can have your wedding somewhere else. Right. All right this is from Emmanuel, a progressive black Colombian from Brooklyn. Uh, first off, dope podcast. I've been messing with y'all since day one. Really appreciated Raquel's section on the DR in the latest episode, especially like all the historical context. I'm with Bertunde and Raquel. I agree everyone in the world should be outraged with the mistreatment of Haitian immigrants in the DR. It's a human rights tragedy. The solutions I heard on the podcast and in other progressive media and that I agree with, i.e. sanctions and boycotts to pressure the Dominican Republic government, deal with the short term. The short term is all about stopping the Dominican Republic government from being dicks. That's a good goal, but it's far from addressing the real problem. The immigration problem in the DR is more fundamentally about the problem of Haiti being the poorest country in the hemisphere, kind of like how the U.S. immigration debate is also about why the hell are Latin Americans fleeing their own countries. Let's talk more about the structures, systems, and institutions complicit in Haiti's economic oppression. That, to me, would be a more productive conversation, also a more difficult conversation, to be real. Peace, Emmanuel. Thank you, Emmanuel, for your for your email. And I believe that there should be that conversation had and other conversations had. We don't have to talk about Haiti and the Dominican Republic once. It's a very big, large uh, subject. And I respectfully um, disagree because it's not an issue right now that, okay, the people that are born now have to get out of here because, you know, there's like a swell of, of immigrants and we're only an island that's just this big and we have to make our own money. This is, you're stripping citizenship of Haitians, of Dominican descent who have no connection to Haiti who don't even know how to speak Creole and who don't have any family members there, you're going generations and generations and stripping them. That's one thing that's like fucking totally absurd. The other thing is they're doing work that Dominicans don't want to do. Right. Okay. Construction work, nannies, et cetera. They're just doing things, fruit sellers that are not bothering anybody, selling uh, uh, newspapers, whatever. It would be great for Emmanuel to actually go and see for himself. Because I right. usually notice that the people that are most vehemently take pro or anti stances against the issue have never set foot in the Dominican Republic. Right. So the individual tourism boycott, you know, feels good and empowering is something everyone can say, oh, I'm not going to go there. Um, but do you really have to get after the corporations and the U.S. government and the sugar industry to really get at the pocketbooks? Yeah. The sugar industry, I didn't know myself mm-hmm. that most of our sugar comes from the Dominican Republic until I read about it. Right. So I think that, yeah, for for the oligarchs in, in the Dominican Republic and their counterparts in Haiti, mm-hmm. who are just as bad, if not worse, than Dominican oligarchs, you have to hit them where it hurts, and that's in their pockets. They don't give a shit what's happening, you know, to the people on the streets or to the masses or to the proletariat Or even uh, the beach class. resorts, really. The beach resorts, no, not really. And don't, please don't get married sure. in the Dominican Republic. All right, so uh, Show it's About bad Race, juju. It's show bad about juju. race <laughs> officially endorses the Dominican Republic boycott. Right? Shall we make that official? Me personally, the, yeah. I, I, I don't like, I have a friend who left today, who works with the Smithsonian, who left today or yesterday to go to the Dominican Republic. I'm not going to not speak to him. I'm not going to not right. be his friend. 
But I personally cannot, I don't feel good knowing the history of the Americas and and what's going on in, in, in Haiti and the Dominican Republic. I don't feel good spending U.S. Right. dollars there and supporting oh. them. Right. Okay, so now on to the single most commented upon emailed anger-inducing uh, issue from last week. <laughs> yes. The fact that we glossed over <laughs> Bernie Sanders' civil rights record oh in a conversation God. about the presidential candidates. Um, uh, show about race from Sam. Hey there, haven't listened to your podcast before. Probably will in the future. You're more interesting than the morning zoo bullshit they have in LA, at least. Thank you for that. Got a link to your show because you described the Sandman as not taking a stance on the goddamn traitor flags. Oh, Here's shit. the thing. He certainly has taken a stance, and that stance is the damn thing should be ripped down from every flagpole in the U.S., at least all the ones on government property. We, we, are, we are definitely guilty for glossing over the conventional yes. wisdom of Bob Bernie Sanders because really we were mostly talking about Hillary. So we did gloss over the conventional wisdom, and that was lazy, and we should be better than that. So we will do better in the future. Hats off to Bernie Sanders. And we didn't say that he didn't care about race, just that economics was more of his thing. But we could have gone, we could have pushed the envelope there. Yeah. We, I actually, we when, I, when I read all the feedback, I actually spanked my own ass. Right. That was so ashamed of myself. <laughs> yeah. But we literally got one, two, three, we got like like almost Many. Like, close to a dozen emails yeah. saying, hey, Bernie Sanders, now wait a minute. So he's, apparently he's got the passionate following. If, if we're to take this as a representative sample, but we you didn't know hear what? from Hillary people or- or anybody else. Yeah, he's he's hot in the streets. Lil B just endorsed him. Killer Lid, Mi- really? Killer yeah. Mike endorsed him. Yeah. Killer Mike endorsed him? Killer, Killer Mike endorsed him. He said he does not want any dynastic politics, no Bushes, no Clintons. And so he went Bernie Sanders. Well, you know what? I'm thankful to our listeners. And seriously, they have inspired me to actually start listening to that Bernie Sanders podcast and do more research on him and inform myself. And, you know, that's cool. We need to have sometimes our uh, coats pulled. Okay, so we have one email from Miguel Malcolm who says, Also, you guys like money. I like useless things like T-shirts or mugs or paperweights. I'd love to <laughs> give you guys my credit card if you gave me some about race, about race paraphernalia. I know it's semi-cheesy, but I think I'd start a lot of cool conversations with a T-shirt that says so about race. So that is a great idea. Merch may be coming down the line. We're going to we're going to put that on the to-do list, uh see if it's something to tackle in the future. Um You know what I think we should do? We should create a special drink for Starbucks. Yes, I was going to say you have to uh, wear the t-shirt to Starbucks. Right. <laughs> right. So, okay, so Miguel, yeah, we're going to we'll look into that. This is from Michael Dear Baritone, dear Kellen Tanner, at the end of every episode, I'd hear the words, we won't stop until racism is over. And each time I wonder, what would that world look like? And would the racism-free world, I imagine, look anything like the one each of you would describe? Please consider doing an episode where you take turns defining what the end of racism would look like. It looks like Punta Cana. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think an actual post-racist world would look like? Oh, I have no idea. (laughs) <laughs> I can't just answer that off the top. I don't know. <laughs> is it possible to be? Pro- I mean, I, I feel like the goal is be rationally racial. I don't know if post-racial is even a realistic yeah, objective. Exactly. There you go. I would actually quote uh, an internet comment I came across many years ago. Uh, if we were all the same color, we'd just find another way to divvy up the spoils. It w- we would start worrying with each other. We would actually turn up the volume. On religious warfare? Yeah, we'd have more religious warfare. Um, be like we'll, the, start, we'll start picking on redheads. Well, it's like the Irish with uh, the Protestants and the Catholics. Same yeah. color, same race, killed each other for years. Yeah. You know, or in uh, 
Bosnia where you had the the Croats and the Serbs, the Serbs and yeah. it was religious factions as opposed to ethnic factions and this is another question another advice column dear Abby <laughs> question from Jill <laughs> Hello to you three. I'm a middle-aged, middle-class white woman, totally benefiting from listening in on your provocative conversations. Thank you for putting these topics out there. Here's my question about racial identity. My sister has three adopted daughters. She is married to a man who immigrated from South America, and one of their children was born in his country of origin. She is a dark-haired, dark-eyed, brown girl. They also adopted twin girls who are of Irish ancestry, born in the States. They are freckled and fair. All three of the kids have been socialized like the children of many immigrants, and I've spent a lot of time in their father's home country. The whole family shares my brother-in-law's traditional Latin last name, and all the girls were given first names that would be authentic in both cultures. My sister is bilingual, and they all speak Spanish at home. They keep the culture of his home country authentic, food, the way holidays are celebrated, etc., the music. What is the ethnic identity of the U.S.-born kids? Does the adopted child who was born in South America have a different ethnic identity than her siblings? How about letting them decide when they get older and stop putting our baggage? This is the reason why we're not anywhere near close to solving, if you want to call it a problem, this issue that we have, this obsession we have around race. Mm -hmm. Let them decide. Why are we... You know, I, well, here's let me let me finish the email because uh, oh, it's it's more. Okay, there, there's more. I, I so my sister and I were talking about this because the twins are approaching college now, and this is apparently something they ask on financial aid forms. We agree that you could make the case for having the twins check the Hispanic box or not, or does any of this even matter? Check all the boxes. Check what you feel. I check all the boxes. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I'm in favor of giving as much leeway as possible for how people want to define themselves. I mean, within reason, not just dolage all right, 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 lying right. about it. But, right, 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 and of course. All right, so let the children decide. Those are uh, the best, not remotely all, but some of the best and most interesting reader responses we had from last week's show. Thanks to everyone who wrote in. And we love to get your emails. We also love to get your voicemails. Pick up your iPhone and your Android, record a little audio snippet with some of your thoughts, and email it to us at showaboutrace at gmail.com. Make the show a little more fun and interesting. And stay tuned because coming up in your feed shortly will be episode nine. We're going to get into a little bit of the Donald Trump effect, the fragility and inability of white people to deal with some of these issues, and race, political correctness, and comedy. Talk to all of y'all soon. <laughs>